Like I said, as we uh, prepare for our communion time <clears throat> this morning, I want you to turn over to Matthew chapter 26, Matthew chapter 26, and I'm just going to be sharing a couple just brief points on reminding us what communion's about. Uh, in a couple weeks, my wife and I, uh, by way, she's doing fine. She's heading back to the States uh, from Trinidad on uh, uh, Wednesday morning early. So I've got to pick her up at like 1.30 in the morning. <laughs> so be praying for me. Uh, I was going to have her take an Uber, but I thought, that's, that's, that's probably not good. <laughs> no, just kidding. Just kidding. We'll edit that out of the tape. Uh, but anyway, uh, <clears throat> she's uh, eager to get home. She misses you all terribly, and uh, she's looking forward to getting back. But uh, we are heading over to see our grandchildren <clears throat> at the end of the, the month for a couple weeks. And um, for our anniversary, it'll be 25 years, May 1st. So we're looking forward to that. But the one thing I, I, I enjoy about going to visit uh, my daughter over in Hawaii, they live on, on Ford Island in the middle of Pearl Harbor. And um, so whenever a Navy ship arrives or departs from the harbor, you can actually just walk, you know, 50 yards from her front door and go down on the waterfront and watch these humongous ships. Sometimes they're aircraft carriers, sometimes they're frigates, but they're all pretty big. And as they come into the harbor from the very beginning, way out before you can even see them, um, the Navy practices, a, a they call it manning the rail. And those of you who've been in the Navy probably have done this. Uh, you dress in your finest dress whites, and they stand uh, by the, the rail of the ship uh, facing outward, lining the complete perimeter, usually, of the ship. And they're in their dress uniforms, and it's just a very uh, incredible sight when you see that. You have this huge ship, and you see all these little white dots, and you realize, wow, these are all men. And they're standing side by side. Um, and as they come into the uh, harbor, they're standing at attention. And they're saluting, basically, the soldiers, the sailors, the civilians who died there uh, in Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941. And when you, when you see that, it just, it really brings you um, back in time. You know, you're, you're standing there looking at the Arizona Memorial as the ship passes it, and all these men standing at attention, and women on the deck of these ships. And uh, those who have gone through that process, I always think, how could they stand there that long? Because <laughs> it's a long time for a ship to get into the harbor, and they're standing at attention usually the whole time. Um, but, and for the spectators on the shoreline, you're looking at this, and you're thinking, wow, this is just an amazing, amazing um, picture of what they're memorializing, you know, what they're remembering. And it really gives dignity to the sacrifice of those who died there in that place. And, you know, that's really what we do at the Lord's table. When, when Jesus instituted the Lord's table in Matthew chapter 26, he, he really did it in a, for a purpose of, of creating a way to remember his sacrifice for us. And so I want to read just through a portion of Matthew 26, verses 20 to 29 for us, where he instituted the Lord's Supper, and then we'll make some brief comments 
and read another passage out of 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, Matthew chapter 26, verse 20, it says, When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful, and he began to say to to them one after another, uh, they began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? And he answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. Verse 24, the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Verse 25, Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now, as they were eating, verse 26 says, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 29, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So our participation in what we call communion or the Lord's table, it honors the sacrifice of Christ. And it gives us a connection to him like any other act of remembrance. Just as those Navy men stand on those ships as they come into Pearl Harbor in a way of saluting the fallen, Scripture teaches us how we can remember the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, I think it's really a picture of the cross of Jesus Christ He's given us a a picture that we can remember in our minds forever through the cross of Christ. 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on that cross, Satan thought that he had won the victory. He thought that, wow, I had completed my task. The Son of God is dead. I will prevail. He thought Jesus had died. He had killed God's Son. And it was all over. But three days later, as we just celebrated last week, right? The resurrection. uh, Surprise. God showed that really he had been in control of this whole event the whole time. It really is a picture of his sovereignty in our lives. Uh, Jesus knew from the very beginning of his ministry. And he told the disciples, as we spoke about on Good Friday even, that I'm going to die and three days later I'm going to be raised from the dead. Now, granted, they didn't understand what he was saying because they had a different Messiah in mind. They had a Messiah who was militaristic that was going to go to, Rome, or to Jerusalem and throw over the, the Roman rule and lead them to victory. But Jesus was looking at a different task that his father had laid out for him. And so even though he told his disciples that he was going to go and die and be raised the third day... Uh, it's important to understand that he knew exactly where he was going. This wasn't happenstance. It wasn't just 
a coincidence. This was the Father's plan. The Bible says that this was planned even before the foundation of the world, that it was predetermined that Christ would go to a cross and die. And so this crucifixion that we celebrate is the ultimate example to us of the fact that no matter what happens, as Helena was just saying, no matter what happens, God is in control of our lives. God is faithful. No matter what happens. And if we could somehow fast forward in the time, from the time of the Roman Empire, when Jesus lived, and, and they could kind of be time warped into our society today, and even if they were walking in this church today, and if they would see a cross around your neck, they would be appalled. They would, they would not understand that. Why would you be wearing a cross around your neck? Because a cross was what? It was an instrument of death. It wasn't an instrument of, it wasn't uh, something to be a symbol of celebration. It was an instrument of death. And they would, they would really not understand that. But you know what? It's great to know that Jesus changed all that. Because we don't look at the cross in the same way. When we look at the cross, beloved, what do we see? We see life. We see life. We see forgiveness. We see love. That's why in our church we have a cross. We don't have a, what they call a crucifix. I grew up in a religion where Jesus was still on the cross. It's called a crucifix. He's still hung there, bloodied and beaten. But he's no longer there. That never made any sense to me. Why would you celebrate the death of Christ if you weren't highlighting the life that he secured through his resurrection? And so by dying on that cross... When you and I look at that, we see life, we see forgiveness, we see love. That's what Christ was able to do. He changed the perspective of people about that symbol. You know, when we celebrate Christmas, it's a wonderful time of the year. It's always fun to go over when we were talking about when we go over to India, sometimes it's right before Christmas, and it's always fun because the kids are looking forward to Christmas, and you get to celebrate some things with them. And it's good to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, but you know what? Nowhere in the Bible does it command us to do that. You're not going to find a verse that we're commanded to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Nothing wrong with it. But it's a good thing to do, but he doesn't, God doesn't command us to celebrate his birth. But he does command us to celebrate what? The death of Jesus Christ. And we celebrate the death of Jesus Christ when we take communion. It's a celebration of the fact that Jesus Christ died for us, that he was raised on the third day, victorious over sin and death. Helena was speaking about some of the, the kids Uh, not following through with baptism because of their family background. In our country, we can't really understand that. But you know what? Baptism means the same thing everywhere. It identifies you with Christ. It's a symbol that you know what? You're not the same person you were before you encountered the risen Lord. And when we bring people up here and we baptize them in this baptism tank over here, we, we... 
lay them back under the water. Baptism means to be immersed in water. And when, when we baptize them, we, we baptize them in the likeness of Jesus' death raised in the newness of life. It's a picture of Christ's victory that he secured on Calvary over sin and death. And for believers, as we take communion, it's a celebration of the fact that Jesus Christ died for us. He died in our place. Just as we see someone who's being baptized, it's a picture that Christ was resurrected. In 1 Corinthians, before our communion time, I want to read this and then just share four brief brief points, but I want to read this section of Scripture because it, it kind of tunes our heart into the seriousness of this table. This isn't something we just do out of habit or, you know, once the first Sunday of the, the month, oh, we have communion and you get the cracker and the juice. It should mean more to us than just that. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I want you to follow along as I read verses 17 to 34. And then I just want to share four brief, very brief things with you. Uh, Verse 17 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, But in the following instructions I do not commend you. This is Paul speaking. Because when you come together, it is not for better but for worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, he says, verse 19, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not, Paul says. Verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then look at verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death What does it say? Until he comes. What a wonderful promise that we have every time we celebrate communion together as a church. I mean, yes, we're we're recognizing the fact that that Jesus died. We're recognizing the fact that Jesus raised from the dead, that he secured our salvation. But we're also recognizing the fact that he's promising to come back, that he's going to come back. He's not just going to abandon us. Verse 27 continues, it says, Whoever therefore eats of the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Well, how do you fix that, Paul? Verse 28, let a person examine himself. Then, and so eat of the the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body gets, uh, body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And there's consequences. He says, verse 30, that is why many of you are weak, ill. Some have died. That's how serious 
this is. But if we judge ourselves truly, we will not be judged. And when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined. But if we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Verse 33, so then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give you directions when I come. So before we share in this celebration of Christ's death and resurrection through communion time together, I just want to share four brief things, just a reminder about what this is about. Remember, first of all, that the Lord's Supper communion is a very simple act. This isn't rocket science here today. Okay, you don't have to be of some religious stature. We expect those who partake of our communion table here at Grace Bible Church to be just that part of Christ's church. You don't have to be a member of this church, but you have to be a member of the Lord's church. You have to be a member of the universal church. You have to be one who have put your faith, your trust in Christ. It's not complicated. This is bread, unleavened bread, and it's juice. That's all it is. It's not meant to be elaborate. It's meant to be simple. We don't add a lot of things to it. We just let it speak for itself, and that's very important because that's where the truth comes out. Secondly, the Lord's Supper is also a reminder to us that it's really central to our faith. It focuses on what's central to our faith. What is that? The love of Jesus Christ that was shown through the cross. I mean, God knew that the church would be around as long as we have been. He wanted to make sure that we never lost our focus on God's love that we we see within the church. And that's why Jesus said to his disciples, what? When you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Remember me. So when we take the bread today and we eat it, we remember that Jesus' body was given for us. His sacrifice is for us. And when we take the juice together, we remember that Jesus' blood was spilled out for us. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no way to take care of sin. There's no forgiveness for sin. And I mean, in our society today where the world drinks so much to forget things, today as believers, we can come together And drink to remember. Remember the truth that God loves us. No matter what. And then thirdly, the Lord's Supper is not just a reminder, but it's also a symbol. It's a symbol of what God has done for us. When we take this bread and we eat it, this isn't literally Jesus' physical body as some churches teach. I don't do some hocus pocus and it becomes the body of Christ. We don't believe that. That's, that's nowhere taught in Scripture. It's a symbol. It's a picture of Jesus' body. If I said, hey, I pull a, a, a picture out of my wallet and I say, this is my, this is my wife. I'm excited. She's coming home Wednesday. And I'm going to pick her up at the airport. You would know that what? This picture that I'm holding up is not literally my wife. It's what? It's a picture of my wife. It's a symbol that represents my wife. 
And that's what the Lord's Supper is. That's what communion is. It's a symbol that represents what Christ has done for us. In a symbolic way, when we celebrate communion, we're saying, thank you. Thank you, God, for what you've done. When Jesus said, I am the door of life, we all recognize that he wasn't talking about a literal door with a doorknob and hinges. He was giving us a picture. And when Jesus said, this is my body, he's giving us a picture of what this time means. And the last thing I'd like to share with you is the Lord's Supper is a statement of faith. It's a statement of faith. When I take the Lord's Supper, it's not just something that I do out of habit. I just don't join in with everybody. Oh, everybody's doing it, so I just got to have to do it. It means something to me personally because I know who Christ is. I know that Christ knows me and I know him. And it should be the same for you. It's a statement of our faith to God. I mean, here's kind of how it works. When we take the Lord's Supper, we look back to the cross. It's a statement of faith. Why? Because we weren't there at the cross. We're saying, I'm looking back in my faith. By faith, I'm recognizing that God, first of all, he loves me. That he gave his gift of his son. That his son died for me. He secured my salvation. Now, there may be days when I don't feel my faith really recognizes that. There may be days in my Christian life where I just, that's a foreign thought. But you have to, by faith, realize that this is exactly what the Lord wants by faith, I realized that God forgave me of all my sins when I, on that day when I said to Jesus Christ, you know what, I want you in my life. I want to turn from my sin and I want to turn to the Savior. And I'm willing to serve you. So it's looking back in faith. But it's even more than that because, as I said in verse 26, it says, do this until, to, as you proclaim the Lord's death, until he comes. We look ahead in faith to the fact that someday Jesus will return. He's going to come back. And he's going to come back for his church if we don't go to him first through natural death. But I look forward in faith and I recognize that, you know what, this world may seem out of control. There's a lot of craziness going on. As Helena was even speaking in India, they're constantly changing the rules, changing the regulations. It's hard to stay up on top of everything. It really makes you thankful that you're in a country where we have the freedom here to, to, to celebrate and to worship. But I really believe that there's going to come a day when our country will be just like that. The regulations will press in upon us. And it's by faith that we continue. And so the Bible teaches us that as we share in the Lord's Supper, that we're to take a few moments just of reflection on what this means to us. And, and basically what we're going to do is we're going to take a few moments right now in prayer. And I would just ask, if someone wants to pray out, thank God for something, this is the time to do it. You know, you're talking to God, not to everybody else, but uh, we don't do this often, but it's always a wonderful time. And we, we pray that you would just, you know, you can thank God for his love, his grace, whatever, just sentence prayers. And... After a period of time, we'll close with that. We'll sing a song, and then we will have the men come forward and distribute the bread first. And as we distribute the bread, 
If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you can take a portion of that. If you're not, then just pass it on because it really doesn't have any meaning to you yet. But it's never too late. Even right now, in the quietness of this moment, you can cry out to God and say, Lord, this kind of makes sense. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord, save me. And God can transform your life. And then this will mean something. But if it doesn't, just pass it on. And then hold it. And then we'll all partake together. And then the men will distribute the, the juice as well. And, uh, and then we'll close our communion time. But let me just open us in a, in a word of prayer. And then uh, I would just ask if anyone would like to pray, just go ahead and do that. It doesn't have to be a long prayer, just short. Thanking God for something. Father, we thank you for our time this morning that we can just spend some time reflecting on how you're using this church and the people here around the world. One area is in India with these children and the pastors. And Lord, we just look forward to continuing that ministry there. And Lord, we thank you for your your gift through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary. And Lord, I just, I want to thank you for your sovereignty in your plan and your purpose for us.